0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show.
1: All radio is dead, which means that these tape recordings I'm making are for the sake of future history.
0: Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am what's left of your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a lovely Tuesday, November evening. The weather's nice, and I feel like crap. Oh, well, Um, in uh, pipe parts tonight, we're going to start a uh, series of... uh, Maybe, you know, gearing up for Christmas, things that uh, us pipe guys might like for other people to buy for us. So we'll talk about uh, antique tobacco jars tonight. My guest tonight is uh, pipe maker and uh, musician Eric Klott. Eric will be uh, on the phone with us talking about pipes and music and all that fun stuff. Uh, Mailbag music and uh, rant. All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so yes, um, you know, as part of the part of the problems of traveling for work is you get exposed to a whole bunch of different people, and as I said last week, I woke up on Monday morning with a sore throat uh Tuesday, you know that, that Tuesday, I felt okay this week in mean, this past week, it's just been hanging on, hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. I didn't get out of the house much uh haven't really been uh smoking my pipe too much but uh, again one of the advantages to having a cold in uh, and smoking your pipe is you know you can't really taste the tobacco too much so it's a time for you to smoke down some of your uh, less favorite tobaccos without uh, without offending your palate Um, I also did take advantage of the time to uh, sit in front of the tv and uh, clean my pipes uh, you know do the uh do the fall, uh, the the every three or four months heavy cleaning of them and spent time with bristle cleaners and did that on a lot of the pipes. Now I got to send some off to have the stems cleaned. So uh, spring ahead, fall back, change your, uh, you know, change the batteries in your smoke detectors and maybe that's a good time to do a deep cleaning on your pipes. Anyway, all right, at least uh, with a cold, I was able to play with my pipes. So there you go. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl if you don't have a cold. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go.
2: Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years.
0: Welcome back. All right, before we get to uh, pipe parts, uh, let me remind you, you must be uh, of 18 years or legal smoking age, wherever you are, to listen to this. Also, let me remind you, as the holidays are coming up, we will have a brand new show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time for you, all the way through the holidays. So, uh, holiday time gets a little hectic. Hey, you want to get away from it, put your headphones on, sit back with an episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, uh, talking about the holidays, we as pipe smokers are uh, somewhat particular and uh, the loved ones in our lives that wanna give us gifts. Well, I'm gonna spend uh, spend some time building up to the holidays with some ideas for uh, gifts for pipe smokers that they may not normally buy for themselves, but we might like them. Um, one of them is antique tobacco jars. Uh, According to Collectors Weekly, tobacco jars have been used since the 1700s to store pipe tobacco. Uh, They've been made with a variety of materials, including tin, wood, pewter, but most are pottery jars made of porcelain. Uh, I'm going to butcher this. Majolica, M-A-J-O-L-I-C-A, or bisque. Uh, In the mid-19th century, figural tobacco jars, shaped like uh, people or animals, became popular. Uh, Tobacco jars from the 1950s and 60s are also considered collectible, though they're not as ornate as earlier jars. Uh, Jars from the turn of the century are the most in demand. Reproductions are common, so be sure to do your research before purchasing. I do want to mention also that in some of this, the, uh, the crossover of a tobacco jar from a, uh, tobacco collectible to either uh, glassware collectibles or porcelain uh, in, in particular the ones that I like although I don't own any of them are uh, from Holland and it's that blue uh, Delft uh, porcelain it kind of has that light blue tint to it and it's all uh, I mean, they're just they're just really pretty um, the other ones that kind of cross over are, like they said, the figurals, because some of them get into uh, parts of Americana, some of them get into uh, different regions of the world, so you'll have representations of different traditional people in, uh, in clothing, but either way, they're, they're fun to have and display, and there's been, uh, when I was poking around doing the research for these, there were some that kind of uh, kind of stuck out in my head. Uh, Now, before you start to purchase a tobacco jar, make sure that it is a, uh, that it was originally designed for tobacco. Uh, One of the best ways to make sure is that it says somewhere on there, pipe tobacco on the outside of it. Uh, Keep in mind, there was a lot of, uh, you know, this was, you go back 200 years and these porcelain or ceramic jars were essentially the uh, tupperware of their days so they may not have been designed specifically for uh, for tobacco most of the ones that you're going to find with uh, pipe tobacco have some sort of a lining the idea was to keep the moisture in and not allow the tobacco to dry out and become dusty so you'll find uh, like a tin or a, or a copper lining uh, Inside of a wooden one or one that's not uh, not porcelain, you might find a uh, milk glass lining inside of it. and in the lid, there might be a humidific- a spot for some sort of device to hold humidity, whether it be the old clay stones or whatnot. Um, but anyway, just uh, you know I just popped onto eBay just to see what was going on there and there was about nine hundred auctions going on that said tobacco jars uh one that uh stuck out and i'm pulling it up here is uh, uh it's a souvenir miniature china model tobacco jar from the city of london and it has a gorgeous crest and a couple of dragons fighting and it says you know city of london on there um some of the other uh, you know there's cats there's dogs there's all kinds of animals uh all different shapes and then of course one of the more famous ones is uh you know, one of the more famous characters to be on a tobacco jar is only, uh, you know, who else but Sherlock Holmes. So, again, there's all kinds of styles. I don't, you know, whatever the person likes, it's a perfectly good, uh, perfectly good gift. Um, you'll find that also that there are some new ones that are fairly decorative. Uh, But again, take a look through eBay and see what's out there. And you may find a a great gift for a pipe smoker at a great price. Uh, You may find some with brands on it. Like right now on eBay, there's one for Imperial Cut Plug, uh, Imperial Cube Cut. And it's just a basic, simple white jar. But again, Another idea for a gift for a pipe smoker that they can display. You don't have to put tobacco in it, but just display it with your pipes, display it with your tobaccos, and, uh, hey, it makes a nice gift. All right, uh, in the the upcoming couple of weeks, we will uh, do other gift ideas. If you've got any ideas besides the traditional pipe and tobacco, let me know. All right, in just a minute, Eric will be on the phone with me.
2: This is Internet Radio. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on Earth, Mac Baron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of Burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Baron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company, available at fine tobacconists everywhere.
0: Welcome back to the pipes magazine radio show and uh, joining us is a uh, pipe maker who I just got to see a couple weeks back or when, however long that was ago. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun discovering all these, all these different pipe makers around the, around the country, but please welcome Eric Klote to the pipes magazine radio show. Thanks for having me. All right. So, so let's get to know you. Um, where are you from, where did you grow up, and uh, what did you want to be when you grew up?
3: Uh, I'm located just north of Atlanta, coming Georgia, and I've been in various parts around the uh, metro area for my whole life. Uh, I grew up in uh, Marietta and kind of moved around up, up in the north uh, quadrant of Georgia. Uh, I'm originally a guitar instructor. I've been teaching guitar now for about 20 years. No way. Uh, full well, mostly full time um, until uh, recently. As I've been getting more into pipe making, I've been freeing up some more time to focus on that.
0: All right. So that so if you're a guitar instructor, that means that you knew how to play guitar, uh, possibly. Yes,
3: correct.
0: Uh, when did, Correct. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you started playing a guitar before you started smoking.
3: Uh, yes. Yes. I've been playing guitar. I guess I picked one up around 15 and. Got real serious about it somewhere around into high school and uh, college. And um, I pursued a business degree for my first degree and then decided after I got out and did a couple of management and sales jobs that I'd rather be doing music, so I went back for music.
0: Wow, usually musicians, you know, usually it's the opposite. You know, people go in, get a degree in music (laughs) and realize that they're starving to death and want to do it and need to get a real job.
3: Right, right. Well, luckily, uh, that's where I focus more on teaching here. I used to do a lot more playing out when I was younger, but um, as you get older and get a family and you know mortgage and stuff like that, you got to do something that's a little more steady. And luckily, in the Atlanta area, so we have so much population uh, that we have plenty of folks to teach. So teaching's a fairly stable gig.
0: Yeah, food and shelter becomes an addictive thing as you get older.
3: Right, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. All right, so, what kind of music? Were you playing, what, what, what drew you to the guitar?
3: Um, originally, I was a typical 80s guy, loved uh, heavy metal, but as soon as I got into uh, playing guitar, I quickly was introduced to, or, or kind of turned on to blues, and uh, kind of went a totally different direction with my plan, and got into uh, uh, 50s and or early 60s blues plan. Um, did that for a long time, and as I got closer to going to school for it, I got more into the jazz and swing side of it. I wouldn't say I'm a jazz player per se, but I definitely enjoy it and uh you know try to add elements of it to my blues playing so um there's a style called West Coast blues, yeah, which is more cal based blues it's got a little more of those jump and swing influences in it, I also like rockabilly and um uh, you know a lot of Americana and things like that too so.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I okay. I I I knew I liked you for some reason. I didn't know why until then. Um,
3: Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so,
0: so you so the old uh, so the old music is what drew you in, and of course, there's you know uh, yeah, there's a lot of recording gigs and money in that. <laughs> um, as right. All, especially now that YouTube is popular. Uh, sure. So, so you've been teaching, and uh, when did pipe smoking come in for you?
3: Um, I was a cigar guy, um, still am, uh, about 2005 or 6, somewhere right in that area. I was buying a lot of cigars, but nothing was really doing it for me. So I said, you know, maybe I'll try a pipe and see how that goes. And um, I picked up a couple of pipes from smoking pipes. And actually, at the time, GLPs was doing a sampler. So I had this big tootsie roll of like I don't know how many tens it was. like eight tens came in a big cellophane uh, wrapper. It was my first uh, pipe tobacco to try out. So <laughs> a little different than a lot of guys starting out with the drugstore stuff. I went right for the GLPs and uh, immediately was hooked. It was just such an interesting and different, um, you know, taste than uh, than cigars had been. So
0: yeah, no, nothing like starting at the top, is there? Right, right. Uh, Did you have somebody show you how to pack the pipe, or did you figure it out yourself?
3: Uh, Kind of figured it out myself. Um, I had a, I guess it was a pier center in Norting I picked up, and I just threw some, I probably looked at some stuff on the Internet, but, uh, you know, just kind of figured it out, blend to blend. And uh, the only one I really had a tough time figuring out, which, of course, I've later learned is pretty common, is uh, I think one of the blends was Barbary Coast and now, now it's a little tricky to keep lit, so. All
0: right, and what was it about the pipe that, I mean, it, you know, it, it's a different experience than a cigar, but what was it that just said, uh, you know, this is where I want to be?
3: Um, as far as um, smoking, it, just, it was just something different, and I kind of, I'm more drawn to the pipe in the winter months. For some reason, in the summer, I go to cigars, which is, pretty traditional. Um, as far as the actual pipes themselves, what got me interested in that is I just saw a lot of really nice pipes that I wanted, but they were a little outside my budget. So I figured, well, it's just a couple a couple of holes in a piece of plastic and wood, and here I am, many, many years later, still trying to <laughs> get it down to an art. So <laughs> uh,
0: besides playing guitar, had you done anything else with your with your hands before that?
3: No, I almost failed wood, wood shop. In uh, high school or middle school, I can't remember where I took that, but uh, that was not my forte. It was just uh, something about pipes. I don't know what it was, about the wood and and the, you know, I don't know what drew me to it other than it was just something I wanted, some nicer pipes than what I had and just needed to figure it out from, uh, you know, what I could afford and went from there.
0: Did you have any tools or any machinery when you started, or did you have to buy it all from scratch? Uh,
3: it was all from scratch. Um, I actually, I guess somewhere around 2006 or seven, I bought a couple of pipes from Rad Davis, and he was down in uh, the Gulf Coast of Alabama. So I called him up at one point and asked if I could come down and watch him make a pipe. Now, at this point, I was downtown in a condo, so there's no way I was going to make pipes um, yeah. in that type of space. But I went down and watched Rad make a pipe from start to finish, um went ahead and kind of made some notes about what kind of equipment he used and asked him some questions while I was there. And I came back, and then once I uh, moved into a condo or out of the condo into a house with my wife, I had room to start building a shop. So from there, I started buying the various tools and going from there. Um, previous to that, the condo, I was just sitting out back with, like, some of the uh, pipe kits with a Dremel, which uh, that's a hell of a way to try to carve a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I still use a Dremel from time to time, but not not for the entire process anymore. So,
0: yeah, a, a Dremel and a pipe kit is a great way to kill off an entire summer.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neighbors thought I was crazy.
0: Well, and you do realize that you you know, with the money that you spent on all the tools and equipment, you probably could have bought a bunch of really nice pipes that and just had them.
3: That's true. That's exactly true. So and I had over the you know course of a couple of years, I had bought a few uh, state pipes and uh, a couple of other pipes that were nice. Uh, I guess what you consider high grade, and ended up selling those off to purchase more equipment as well as some of my guitar equipment uh, that I didn't need anymore. Um,
2: so I don't regret
3: too much of it. There's a few things. There's one guitar and one pipe I really regret selling, but you live and learn.
0: Yeah, if uh, if regrets were $100 bills, I'd be sitting on a stack that I couldn't even climb up on. Um, but uh, it, it, do you remember, can you give us a ballpark of, I mean, how much does it cost to get a to get the tools and equipment to set up to make pipes?
3: Um, I got a Jet 920, which is pretty much a standard for a lot of guys with the metal aid. I want to say that was around 1500 bucks at the time. Um, probably about 400 bucks for a dust collector. Uh, motors are a couple hundred bucks a piece um, to put your sanding wheels on. Um, once I got into blasting, the blast cabinet's not that bad. You can get a blast cabinet for under 200 bucks. Um, but the compressor—that's the kicker. Those run anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000, depending on how big you want. Um, it's typically a the 60-gallon uh, two-stage. Um, is the smallest you want to go whereas the 80 gallons uh which you probably should get um in retrospect i should have got the bigger more horsepower model but the 60 does real well i know a lot of guys doing good work with 60. um there's a few other things just between the wood you know the wood's expensive the ebonite's expensive so it it adds up it was done over a course of different you know a couple of years though so it wasn't all in one shot
0: yeah, so if I followed with you on the math, I'm looking at about $8,000, and I haven't even started to make one pipe yet.
3: Exactly. Well, and I, just for reference, um, if you go with a little nicer quality stuff than I started out on, because I started out with some, you know, like a Grizzly sander and things like that, whereas if you go a little nicer, I, I want to say, when I spoke to Grant, Grant Batson, I think he originally started off with a shop around fifteen grand. Of course, he has a much nicer...
0: Lathe and things like that too, yeah, so uh let's see fifteen grand that's uh dollars yeah that's uh thirty brand new nice pipes um exactly and yeah so you, so the so the cost of your pipe now that you sell is uh still trying to pay back some of that uh tool and equipment purchase at the beginning,
3: right. But it but it keeps me out of the trouble, so my wife's happy. She knows where I'm at. I'm either in the garage or in the back room practicing, so she keeps tabs on me that way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no no need for GPS. We know exactly where Eric is.
3: Right, exactly.
0: Um, was there a uh, was there a part of the pipe making process at the start that was the hardest for you to figure out or, or to get it right?
3: Um, I think the biggest thing for me was Uh, learning to take off enough material and there's still areas of the pipe where i'm still reluctant to and and it's just one of the things you have to force yourself to go sometimes too far to learn where that limit is uh michael had told me once when i was up at the briar lab that you need to take off everything that's not a pipe and that's uh something i'm still learning to train the eye to see as well as just not to be scared to take it off um so it's been, it's been interesting. That's the biggest thing I think for me is just learning to train the eye um, as well as maybe learning some more of the history of pipes. Cause I just kind of jumped in it um, and didn't know a lot of the history and the different makers and things like that. Um, I can remember at some point talking to Greg Pease on a phone years ago and he was commenting on a pipe that he saw of mine that was this orange color and uh He'd mentioned it. He said, I really like the color of it. It reminds me of Teddy Teddy Knudsen's pipes. And I was like, who? And he just laughed. <laughs> he goes, so what, what made you stand at orange? It was like Gretsch guitars. So, so I thought it looked cool like an old Gretsch guitar, like the guy from the Stray Cat had. And he's like, oh, because he's a guitar guy, too. But, but yeah, I had a lot of learning about the history of pipes. Um, so that's something I'm still looking to uh, you know educate myself on and learn. Uh, Michael's been helping me out with that, so.
0: Now, do you uh, drill first and then shape later?
3: Um, I've done both. Um, I do most of my stuff drill first and shape second. Um, I've just started getting into more doing the um, shape first and drill afterwards. Uh, I haven't sold anything of that yet. Uh, I've only done a few, um, but I'm looking to get more into that this year. I've learned it under uh, Grant and then a little more under Nate. This past, uh, I guess, year, year and a half, I just haven't incorporated it into my uh, pipes as, as of yet.
0: Yeah, so when you drill first and then you've got the internals laid out, you, you need to leave some wood around, those, uh, around that draft hole in that tobacco chamber.
3: Right, and then sometimes what you're visualizing in your head um, sometimes doesn't work as well once those holes are there and you have to kind of figure out how to make things flow a little better. Um, So I'm interested to try it the other way to see if that'll help with some of the uh, design aesthetics and uh,
0: keeping the flow. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, inlays and uh, flow and uh, maybe some blues. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
4: What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, The Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archivaleno red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Eric. And uh, Eric, was there a shape of the pipe that was harder for you to get a hold of at the start?
3: Uh, Believe it or not, and I think this is pretty common, to do a a proper billiard is really tough. Um, I think sometimes free hands are a little more forgiving because there's not a a structured or historical basis for those pipes. Uh, So billiards have always been a, a... tricky to pull off, uh, you know, exactly, um, I guess, proportionate-wise what a true billiard should be. Um, So a lot of the classics. Classics are tougher to me than some of the others.
0: Which one, what do you prefer making, classics or or more of a freehand?
3: I started with more classics, and I think personally as a pipe smoker, I prefer classics, uh, but I've kind of drifted away from classics probably through studying with Grant Batson a little bit. And I wanted to learn how to attach different adornments like bamboo and horns and uh, things like that. So and then just by nature of being around Grant, you know, his wonderful pipes, I guess I kind of drifted into some more freehand uh, style pipes. Um, but I kind of bounce back and forth. I'll do a few, you know, classics in a you know, week or two, and then I'll just flip and do a couple of uh, some more freehands. So just I like to mix it up.
0: Now you do on on some of the ones that I'm looking at on BriarLab.com. You do those. It looks like to me, it looks like a reed, but it's a it's an inlay that it's got a little slot for the for the stem to come up through it a little bit.
3: Uh, Correct. They call it a foot stem. yes.
0: Yeah. Can you kind of describe that process? Because there's, I mean, that's got to be a whole bunch of different cutting it, and wiggling and angling.
3: Uh, well, actually, it's a lot easier than it looks. Um, When I first uh, went up to Grant the first time, I I remember talking to Grant, and that was something I wanted to learn. And when he showed it to me, I was like, that's it? (laughs) Um, So it's not as complicated as it looks. Um, Basically, all you do is you cut the rod um, down to a smaller diameter than what you want your final stem width to be, at least on the portion where the wood's gonna be adjoined. And then you'll drill out the wood to the exact diameter, and you mount it with epoxy. And once that's dried, You just shape the stem just like normal. And when you're cutting in your um, taper, it literally cuts into the briar through the, um, or sorry, not the briar, cuts into the uh, ebonite through the stem material. So you're just kind of shaping down into that um, stem, and the um, rod makes itself apparent, gives you that, what you refer to as a reed shape. Um, Just kind of comes through the shapings.
0: That's cheating.
3: Exactly. I thought it was going to be a lot harder, too, but I was glad it was a little easier. It was something I could tackle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So does your guitar background, is that what also makes you want to play with all these different inlays and different exotic woods?
3: Um, Not so much. I didn't really get into the woods until um, I got into pipe making. And, uh, you know, I guess because I played more stripped down guitars, I was never really big in all the fancy... Um, over the top, you know, works of art for guitar. I think they're cool to look at, but for personal playing, I just like an old Telecaster or I really like that Les Paul I have with P90s in it. That's an old gold top. Um, so not a whole lot of the fancy woods throwing, showing through on either of those models. They're pretty stripped down, working man's um, guitars. So,
0: Yeah, alright. All right, let's talk about guitars for a minute. Um, because uh, say my wife wanted to buy for me somebody who I've got a little bit of knowledge of you know, I know the different names of the strings and and where to go with them. Uh, But I want that old-time hollow-body sound. Is there a decent arch top that you can recommend for my wife to buy for me for Christmas, and I'll make sure she listens?
3: Oh, uh, depends on the budget you're looking into, but there's a lot of uh, good guitars, um... You can get uh, even some Epiphone's that they're doing with the Arch Tops. Like they just did a nice reissue of the ES-295 like uh, Scotty Moore used to play. And they actually did it with a lacquer finish instead of a poly finish. And they put the actual Gibson P90s on it. And it's got a Bigsby on it. And that one's under a grand. I think it's somewhere around 899 It's called a uh, ES-295 Limited from Epiphone. So um, those are great, great bargain to be had. And Eastman guitars out of... Um, I believe they're made in... China, I might be incorrect, but they do some really nice work. Uh, A lot of jazz guys play those, and a lot of guys are getting into playing some of their um, newer models with two dual humbuckers, and they're starting to do a P90 line as well. So those are coming out of uh, mostly in Europe right now where you can pick those up, but I think the American market's going to start picking them up pretty soon. So those are great guitars for the money. And same thing, they'll put you at somewhere right around a grand.
0: And now for somebody that just wants to start learning guitar where do you want to? Where do you start them out? What kind of guitar and what do they need?
3: Uh, usually, uh, either a Strat or a Telecaster are good uh, starters, and you can get those in various ranges. Um, but to me, a Strat—I've I played a Strat for probably 12 years. I actually don't own one now, but that's kind of like the Swiss Army knife. Or if the army issued an instrument, I think they'd issue a Strat. Um, <laughs> so those are great to start on. And you can get those from anywhere from, you know, 250 300 bucks, all the way up to if you want to buy, you know, like a John Mayer custom model or something like that uh, in the thousands. But, but even the, the less expensive models are great, great guitars. I think um, Jimmy Vaughn, Steve Ray Vaughn's brother, plays a stock off the shelf, um, made Mexico Strat. The only mod they do to it is they put the tone knob on his back pickup for him, which is something common that he does. But he says it's stock. He doesn't do anything fancy with it. He just gets them right below we'll make them in Mexico and Fender, and
0: that's what he played on. Yeah, well, we're also talking about somebody who's really way more talented than I am. <laughs> uh is there I mean, is it like with pipes is and guitars, is it a mistake to start off on a very cheap, discounted student model?
3: As long as it's it's set up well and it holds a tune well. Some of the student models are not bad. It's just to whether it's set up well. I've I've had some, you know, parents that come in with their kids and they're like, "Hey, man, we found this old guitar laying in the basement, and it looks like a bow and arrow because the strings are so high off the neck." And you know, I let them know like you're going to have to invest probably enough as much as buying a decent starter guitar into fixing that thing. Um, and most of the time they will listen, but every now and then we've had this poor kid that's got to try to play this guitar that even I have a hard time hold the strings down on, and, um, you know, that's definitely not a good way to start. That's a, that's a tough road to hoe, so um, definitely get something that's, that's set up well. Um, I think most starter guitars now are made so well with all the CNC machines and, and the factories that you get a much nicer instrument than what we would have considered a budget instrument just 20 years ago. It would be a little tougher to play. Um, I usually recommend electric too for most beginners because the strings are much easier on the fingers at first
0: Yeah, except those little tiny strings tend to slice them occasionally if you start playing too fast. Right, right. (laughs) All right, going back to pipes, because you're teaching and doing all that, how many pipes a year do you think you're able to make?
3: Somewhere just under 50. Um, I was going to try to get that up this year, and unfortunately it didn't happen. I talked with Michael Ender at the Briar Lab about some methods to kind of help Uh, improves that. Um, I started to implement those and then the summer kind of fell apart. I had all kinds of equipment issues this summer and and I tend to slow down a little in the summer too because I ended up, instead of buying the air conditioner I wanted for the garage, I ended up having to replace equipment. And uh, Georgia heat and no air conditioning does not go well. So July and August are real slow months for me in the shop.
0: Yeah, yeah, hard to get Briar to dry out in 80% humidity.
3: Right, right
0: so um so your pipes price wise where do they start out where do they top out
3: most of them are around 235 to 300 um i've had a few just north of 300 but that's normally a really exceptional piece of briar um i'm kind of leaning on uh, michael and nate at the briar lab to kind of give me a little bit of direction on that too that's also something we talked about you know, removing the material uh, where you need to being something tough. The other tough thing I think for every pipe makers is just pricing their pipes in the beginning. Uh, that's a, that's a still a tough thing for me to do.
0: So you're talking about a completely handmade pipe with a hand cut stem at 235 to 250 starting.
3: Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah. Um, not not a bad price. I can see why you need to make more.
3: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they're um, getting there, though. I'm working at it. I think this year will be a little more production than, than this previous. So,
0: yeah, Is there a shape or a style of a pipe that you're just having a, having a struggle to make?
3: Um, I've done a few blowfishes. Um, they're interesting to me, but I guess they're not my go-to. If I was going to make a shape for myself, I probably wouldn't make one. But I know guys are interested in them, and I do know trying to capture the grain, in um, that orientation is a little bit of a, uh, a trick too. So that's something I'm trying to learn. I haven't had any to sell yet, but um, but that's definitely an interesting shape. It's a challenging, uh, but uh, I think it's a combination of I just. I'm not, a lot of guys really chase that shape, and it's something they're really drawn to. I'm not, maybe not as drawn to it, but I'd, I'd like to have it at some point. So I need to sit down, and I think now that I'm getting into more uh, shape first and drill later, I think that might be a good goal for this year.
0: Yeah, you, you shape the pipe and then get it all perfect and then try to figure out where to fit the bowl in.
3: Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, how often do you get a chance just to, I mean, with all you're doing, just sit down and smoke a pipe?
3: Um, usually about once or twice a week I'll get down to smoke a pipe um, and you'll do a couple cigars too in between there. Um, cigars are a little easier just you know, if you're out hanging out with the guys and talking or something like that. I'll go down to my local smoke shop and smoke cigars. But um, for some reason, pipes have been more of a solitary thing for me. I'll, I like to smoke in the mornings, um, sometimes right before I go in the shop and read the paper or read a book. Um, sometimes when I'm practicing guitar too, that's a, that's a nice thing to do.
0: Uh, yeah, all right. How do you do that? I mean, you you just have the you light the cigar, get it hanging in your mouth, and then grab the guitar and and uh, or light the uh, pipe. More, more,
3: well, more pipes with the with the guitar. So I, my wife lets me smoke pipes in the house, but no cigars. That's all in
0: the <laughs> garage or outside so. Yeah. So, but you, you haven't dropped any ash on your guitars yet, have you? Or uh, a probably once or twice.
3: Once uh, or twice, but or in my lap or something like that. But but other than that, it's, it's been okay. No, no damage. So,
0: can you uh, can you keep the rhythm while you're puffing on your pipe and like blow, you know, blow smoke rings or or blow smoke signals out the bowl while you're playing?
3: I haven't got that down. My coordination's not good enough to do smoke rings while I'm playing. But
2: uh, yeah, usually in the
3: mornings I'm transcribing something off of records to kind of learn licks. So it's definitely a learn a few lines off a record and put it down and smoke a little bit while I'm writing it out and for my own records and kind of picking it back up. So uh, definitely if I was like playing with a band or something, I don't think I could pull it off. Like Gate Mouth Brown used to be able to smoke a pipe while he was playing the concert. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I could pull that off. But
0: <laughs> Well, I think it, I think he was born with a pipe in his mouth and just kept it there.
3: Exactly. Yeah, I got to see him a few times through Atlanta, so he's a great player. Ah. Uh.
0: Eric, we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sounds good. What is your favorite pipe?
3: My favorite pipe is the Tawny Nielsen that I stupidly sold to buy my lathe, and I still want to put that pipe on a milk carton and find it. <laughs> it's the best smoking pipe I ever owned.
0: All right, describe it so that everybody that's listening maybe, maybe will find it.
3: It was just kind of a free horn, uh, freehand horn shape that Tawny had done, and it had this really unique uh, kind of, it looked like he had taken a dremel or some kind of a tool and rusticated just a small patch over. It looked like a little leaf on the side of the uh, bolt on the side of the of stem. Um, but yeah, that, that was one of my best smoking pipes. So I talked to Tawny about it, and he said that he remembered the pipe, and he says uh, he wishes he could make me another one that smoked just like it, but he said it's probably just the way you smoke, what you like to smoke, and that particular pipe, so... I'll I'll be chasing that dragon for a while,
0: I'm sure. All right, so if anybody can find it, uh, contact information is coming up. Uh, What is your favorite tobacco? Uh,
3: Cumberland by GLPs.
0: And what is your favorite drink? Coffee. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music?
3: Music, definitely.
0: And last question, any particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about?
3: Um, I, you know, I've got a, a several, uh, mostly at the shows. I definitely think if you haven't been to a show, you need to get out and start visiting the shows. Um, but this past um, Vegas show, I got to meet a lot of makers from the international markets. I got to meet makers. Uh, with the briars out of greece i got to meet uh chris out of greece Um uh, chris Osterio, i believe i'm pronouncing his last name right yeah and gustav martello pipes. so just the amount of people and talking about their hometowns and you know the food that they enjoy and the music and and um i think that's one of my favorites is just meeting new and interesting people and from various backgrounds at pipes um pipe shows that's that's probably one of my favorites um, but other than that, I had a years ago at the Richmond show, I was sitting around with a bunch of these avid outdoorsmen, we have a lot of outdoorsmen in the pipe world, and I was sitting with Abe Herbaugh and, um, Levon Eric and a couple other guys, and they were all discussing, you know, sleeping out under the stars and all this camping and long distance hiking and hunting, and they got to me and they look at me, I'm man, don't look at me, I'm roughing it to me leaving my car charger at home when I'm <laughs> going on a long trip, that's about as far as it goes. So, but it's just interesting to hear all the different backgrounds and talk to people about their interests and in lives
0: and stuff. So. Yeah, my idea of roughing it is the hotel room doesn't have a coffee maker in it.
3: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, and uh, Eric, because of your love of music, you get to choose, you've already chosen the music for tonight that will play after the next break, so tell us what it is.
3: Uh, it's Igor Prado. He's a guitar player out of Brazil. Um, plays mostly west coast swing and, and soul guitar he's um, a fabulous player he's been on my playlist now for a good good year or so so he's been one of my favorites
0: and to learn more about eric's pipes go to Cloatpipes, k l o d t pipes dot com or briarlab.com. dot com any place else am i missing
3: nope that should be it
0: or you can find Eric on Facebook or if you need guitar help or lessons, he's in Atlanta. So check him out. Eric, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute.
2: Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? 4 stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from 4Noggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. 4 for all of your pipes and tobacco needs.
1: Internet radio.
0: Welcome back. So I really don't like people like Eric because they're really talented, and I'm really worried about Kevin because he said in my ear in the last commercial break that I sound sexier with this cold. So, all right. Um, For music, uh, as Eric said, Igor Prado, and this one's called "Shake a Hand." How was that for fun? And uh anyway, you can find uh Igor Prado, I G O R P R A D O on uh YouTube, Spotify, and a couple other places, so uh check that out.
3: Well, let's see what's in the mail.
0: In the mailbag, let me first say hello to uh Ian who I ran into on Sunday at the uh local Renaissance Fair, or Renaissance Festival. Um not exactly a Renaissance festival, hard to hold a Renaissance festival when you're got when you've got pirates and all different centuries represented there. but anyway, it's a fun little uh it's a fun fair and we had a great time on uh on Sunday for five six hours. ran into Ian there, who happened to be uh smoking some of uh the country squires Cherokee. so sent that little message to uh John David Cole uh that was fun. And then, uh, going back to last week with Bill Walther, uh, a couple of comments. One is from, uh, the pipe stud Steve Fallon, and he says, I own two Walther pipes, and they are simply outstanding. Even better, I've known Bill for several years now, and he is one of the hobby's true gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement coming from the pipe stud, because, you know, Steve likes me, so he's not a real good judge of character. Um... Uh, Casey Ghost writes, uh, good show as usual. The Pipe Parts Report on the West Coast Pipe Show was very good and pretty much in agreement with friends of mine who went. I also want to add in there again that it was, uh, it was also really fun. It, it's got a great international flair. Uh, Asia, Australia, Europe, South America. I mean, all kinds of people from different parts of the world came. Uh, he goes on to write, uh, really glad they are going to have it next year. Uh, The pipe interview with Bill Walther was very interesting. Working with watches and models really prepared him for a career in making pipes. The toughest thing is he talks so slow that you're asking him the next question when he isn't done with the last one. (laughs) No, Bill's got a pace about him. Uh, And it's a comfortable uh, down-home pace that I like. Uh, Casey Ghost says, uh, enjoyed the musical selection, though I will uh, suspect that a lot of people didn't. Uh, let's see. Uh, Scott Thiele writes in. Love the last two shows, Ryan. Great uh, to get your take on the Vegas show. Sure, hope to be able to make that one year, uh, one some year soon. Bill Walther is one of those guys I could talk with forever. I've enjoyed his company at, a lot at the last two Chicago shows, where our tables have been back to back. His pipes are beautiful and at a very afford and at very affordable prices. The music was good, too. David Aikman played excellent claw hammer banjo. Uh, Last week's show with Ronnie B was fantastic, too. Another great guy I love to spend time with at shows or when I get down to Nashville and can stop by his place for a visit. He does fantastic work. Looking forward to seeing what he gets into once he has his uh, shop retooled. Hope you're feeling better soon. Scott. Uh, Scott, uh, I haven't told anybody And I don't think you know either But um, one of the guests that I'm working on For uh, the next couple of weeks May not be a full segment But uh, is related to Scott I just had some emails Back and forth with them yesterday Anyway, going forward uh, Dino says Another totally enjoyable show The laid back conversation with Bill Walther Was quite engaging and informative As was your review of the Vegas show I have to agree with both Dan and Scott. Stringbean is always a joy to hear and one of the true Clawhammer masters. He has uh, he and his good friend Grandpa Jones, along with Roy Clark, played the hell out of those good old songs on Hee Haw. Uh, Hee Haw, until I moved to the South, I didn't know that Hee Haw was actually a documentary. Anyway, um, then Dino gets a little offended and says, Hey, I love my vests. They're like a man purse for the pipe smoker. Sure, if I'm going out a uh, sports coat, uh, preferably tweed, with capacious patch packet, pockets, try saying that with a cold, capacious patch pockets, is just the thing. But at my age, I really don't give a crap what others think about my sartorial choices, except for what the missus thinks, of course, thanks Dino. And uh, regarding my uh, fanny pack and my uh, cargo pants, I don't care either. In fact, you could Kiss my fanny pack. Alright, I do enjoy getting comments and reading them all and hearing about them all. And it makes the show a lot more fun. So please post any comments, feedback, ratings, or reviews that you might have for us on uh, PipesMagazine.com. Or on iTunes, which I think we have a couple of iTunes reviews that I may have read already. But I'm going to read them now for you. The first one comes in from another tongue twister. It's a... Uh, perspicacious piper and uh, he says i'm a relatively new pipe smoker about two and a half years and this show has added extra depth and appreciation to the hobby that i've come to love always extremely informative and entertaining keep up the good work brian thank you very much and thank you for the review uh he gave us five stars and uh, fitzy there's a name i like 5 stars. Uh, for any of you out there interested in Pipes, this show is fantastic. Brian does an excellent job as host. Thank you again and again, if you get a chance, please do leave us a uh, rating or review on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Uh, pipe show's coming up. Calendar will be updated shortly because we got to go around the, uh, around the moon again or around the sun again before we get to uh, February and the first one that I know of is Definitely coming up in uh, St. Louis, so look forward to that. And in just a minute, a uh,
1: sponsored rant time. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell and Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our best seller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information.
0: facebook uh steve davenport writes me and says brian a trip down the magazine rack in our local big box bookstore yesterday made it clear to me where we as pipe and cigar smokers rank in society were we front and center at eye level with all the women's magazines nope were we anywhere close to the food cooking magazines nope were we near the hunting fishing magazines nope where were we then? On the very top shelf on the back two rows of the men's interest sections with the porn. <laughs> Even the beer, wine and spirits magazines had better placement. On the flip side, there were three different cigar related magazines which is a slight improvement. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's um I guess in a uh, bookstore world, it's more okay to show uh, skin than it is to show tobacco, and uh, or yeah, and liquor is more okay to show that. So that shows you exactly where we rank in the public's eye. Keep that tobacco out of the way, but um, you know, as I said to uh, Steve, you know, uh, don't you know, hide hide the tobacco behind the uh, the midget porn with feathers magazine, and we'll be okay. Um, Anyway, I was also surprised to hear that there's three different cigar magazines out there. Uh, We in the pipe world, we have one printed full-color magazine. Of course, it's called Pipes and Tobacco's Magazine. And if you're not subscribing to it, you definitely should be. Also, coming up in the show uh, next March or April will be our annual JDRF fundraiser. Why do I mention it now? I mention it now because November is uh, National Diabetes Awareness Month, and yesterday was the anniversary of the discovery of insulin. Prior to insulin being discovered in the 1920s, uh, diabetics just tended to, I don't know, you know die. Uh, lots of innovation coming in uh, diabetic health care, lots of interesting things coming out, And the reason I mention this is because I wanted to give you advance warning. If you've got something that you'd like to donate to the auctions for JDRF, I'll start reminding you about once a month. Email me, brian, at pipesmagazine.com and we'll get them over to me and I'll uh, hook you up with everything. But uh, we need to have a big, big year coming up this next uh, JDRF auction, which will be in about four or five months. And I know uh, we got to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's first, but Hey, little heads up, it is National Diabetes Awareness Month, so uh, start thinking about it. I'd appreciate it. All right, make sure and share the Pipes Magazine radio show with your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, whoever, share it around the world. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to especially thank Eric for joining us, and uh, now I want to go pick up my guitar and abuse the strings on it. But I want to thank, again, thank you all for tuning in and until next time bombadida
4: bombadida 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 bombadida
1: bombadida
4: bombadida 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 who cares? About The clouds when we're together, just sing a song
3: and think about sunny
2: weather.
4: Happy Dread, Ba Bomba Ba
1: Bomba Call me Radio Unit 91. Then don't call me Unit 91 Radio.